Welcome to the Art of Floundering Podcast. I want to wish you nothing but peace and love. Welcome to the Art of Floundering Podcast. Peace and love. This is episode 7 in our Countdown to Soon series, where I attempt to illustrate, document, quote, life, at least from my perspective, following a traumatic accident. The title for this episode is, I'm not slacking, I'm backsliding. And it's a pretty accurate description of what this period of my journey was like initially as the backsliding process started happening as I touched on in the previous episode I was beginning to have problems sitting that was causing increased pain which meant my very simple job of driving three miles at most to work riding the elevator to the second floor and rolling into my office and closing the door was physically too difficult. I started not being able to make it through an eight-hour day of just being asked to sit at my chair and not cause a ruckus. I wasn't given anything to do. You know, just show up. I was having a hard time doing it. I was starting to come in late, starting to leave early, make up all kinds of bullshit. And just real real shady stuff that like like if i was like doing dope but it was because i knew i was i was now phys- i was at a point where i was physically unable to do my job now i want to i want to preface something this is uh, i i really screwed up the chronology on the previous podcast i started coming back into the world 2019 the backslide started happening christmas to you know november december of 2019 and 2020 and beyond so we're into we're into 2020 and i realize i'm in a world of freaking hurt because i have i had just been able to to keep finance just ruined from happening because i was able to return to work and i thought i'd be able to get a couple years in of doing nothing at work but getting paid to to kind of figure out my next move so to speak but things started happening rapidly you see where i worked at was 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 in the process of doing something and i could be angry about it angry by the motives but the reality is and was that it probably needed to be what they did was they said we want you to see a doctor and because we want to accommodate whatever your disability is now i knew they wouldn't do it this was their way of you know this guy's not this was this of showing me that i needed to retire Okay, I, this was the first salvo. So I knew this This was going on in the background. You know, I went to the physical. The doctor, you know, said he can't travel, blah, blah, blah. Interestingly, well, anyway. Basically, he said things I couldn't do, which were travel and be on call after hours. Those were the two things. That was it. He's got a, there's no travel, like airline cars, no travel over 25 miles. And uh, I can't be on call. That was my reasonable accommodation. Now, they, they declined it. Very interesting. And this could be, this could keep me up late at night. But 
in my workman's comp case. Those were the two things they said they didn't make us do. We don't have our employees. So anyway, I realized I was being set up. And of course, where I was in that process with, well, we can't accommodate you here, but we'll find you. I I knew what was going to happen. But see, the truth is, I had reached a point where I realized I had no choice. It was going to happen because physically, I couldn't deny where I was at. It was getting bad. Pandemic hit. This is when we were, you know, we were able to work from home. They weren't giving me anything to do. And so I would sleep. I would make whatever, you know, Zoom meetings we had and type up whatever silly report, you know, at the end of the day to justify what you did because you know especially in government service they have they don't have their hands on you now i'm not i'm not proud of any of this this wasn't because i'm a slacker i was backsliding physically it was too hard the heart the hardest one of one one of the many hard things for me is how i ultimately went out of my it's labor day so i'm thinking a lot about work it's almost you know i went out just just non-productive what does this guy do kind of but anyway it was during the pandemic that you know they were they started you know what would slow down the inevitable was during the pandemic i lived in an area where walmart delivered so the pandemic you know i rode that work work from home as long as i could but during this entire time i was getting worse and worse and worse it now i was having problems like getting to the front door and back and i was beginning organizing my home in a very weird way my roommate guido garcia who i've talked about he had retired and left november 2019 and when he uh, 2000 i'm sorry please forgive me 2020 november 2020 and, you know, I remember, like, there was a, a day or two before he left. I can tell he was, like, packing shit up, his motorcycle and shit. I could tell he was, like, nervous about, like, man, are you going to be okay? And I told him, I said, I, you know, you don't have to worry about me. I got it all figured out, which I didn't. I didn't have anything figured out. I knew I was on a collision course with being medically retired, which would leave me with making much less than I was currently made, which eventually would mean I can no longer keep my house. I would no longer be able to uh, pay for college for my kid, do, you know, the things that were, you know, financial things, a lot of financial things. And it would involve a dramatically different lifestyle, both financially and also control power. I was going from being, quote, comfortable, living the suburban dream in my safe and secure government gig that while at that time I might have been, you know, on the outs with my employer in my current location and division. This is a very large organization. And in other words, I, I was now I was going from being a person that, that was making a decent living and able to, to take care of business, um, and having options to to having to get by on far less and not having options. No one I, I realized I was now unemployable, you know. I mean even a work from home job 
was impossible. If the state I was getting to, and it was, you know, there was this internal, there was this battle I was having, like, because I was a shitbird at work, and, and not, not like with my personality. My personality was great, but I was not reliable. I mean, I would, I would suck up any sick time I'd have. I used the very second I get a sick day, I'd use it. I'd be bolting, or I, I, I just they, they put up with a lot. And it wasn't because I wanted to be this way. I recall having a conversation with my manager. And I remember telling him, I said, look, I know I'm the weakest link. I'm well aware of it. None of what you're seeing is because this is the best I have. This is how bad I am kind of thing. This was after all this and the decision had been made. But at this time, things are still churning. Maybe maybe I can avoid this. Maybe there's some miracle because the doctor, my surgeon, told me he, ha- he can do a surgery that could fix this. And I during the pandemic, we, we were allowed to... Uh, well, I was working from home, which was sleeping, laying down, you know, doing the bare minimum because it was at the point where I had, um, I hadn't done a lot of weird things yet, but, um, it was, I was having problems taking care of myself, eating properly, hygiene. There was no way I can, like, you know, if it wasn't for people delivering groceries, I would have starved, you know. And I started looking at the complexity. You know, I had this house. I bought this house uh, when my aunt got remarried and moved into, right before the accident in 2016. It was brand new, and so I was quite proud of it. Not out of vanity, but, you know, at the time, it was a nice home for my daughter. That's why I got it. I wanted her to have a really nice place, you you know, because I would have, you know, quote, full custody and for her last two years of high school. And I wanted her to have a really nice place or as nice as I could provide. And everything was new, right? And it was nice. You know, it was a typical suburban house, you know. But it had gone from, because I would do, you know, when I, during my renaissance, I would do podcast episodes in the living room. And it was this incredible vibe of modern art. And I would set a vibe. I had really cool seating and weed and stuff and just really do good podcast episodes. I was able to do that because all I had to do was walk out of my room to the couch. And so if I can get people to come to my house, man, you know, and that's, I had an epiphany that I thought, I thought during this time as things were getting worse, okay, it, you know, it looks like I'm going to be medically retired. What the hell am I going to do, you know? I thought I'd be able to somehow, you know, keep in mind I don't have mad income. But, you know, I was talking with Guido about us buying, like, what what I call a barn dominium. Like, getting some land where it's inexpensive. But you have, like, no fucking plumbing and electricity and shit. And having, like, like a metal home, a couple of them. But that's, that could easily work where you open up the garage door and their stage. It's just a whole thing. But you build this environment where they're coming to you. And I thought we could have, like, Woodstock-type events for old people anyway. But I wasn't able to do that anymore because just just being able to sit through a podcast interview had become impossible i couldn't sit that long and when the telecommuting um this is uh around the time frame of october uh, 2020 I, i keep forgetting it's 2022 last two years have been a blur when it was time to go back to work and it was pure fucking hell for me i realized 
it was time. And I told myself, that's okay, because the surgeon says he can do the surgery. You've got, I didn't have much. I didn't have, a, you know, but I, I had enough. You know, this forces you to make really shitty decisions. You know, a 401k plan, that was fucking just killed, you know, several times with medical stuff and everything. But I've been able to, to get, you know, put sock away some in retirement in, in, the, in the time that I was able to come back to work. And I looked at that number and I looked at my expenses, which weren't much. You know, even with a house payment, I had a very low interest rate. You know, it, it was cheaper than rent anywhere. You know, it was one of those things where I was a hostage to the fact that the house was too much for me to take care of um but i couldn't afford anything else because rent was getting high and you know i wasn't going to get a house what was i going to get you know it's condominium so i just you know a lot of complications didn't know where my body's at so i looked at everything i had my surgeon said he can do a surgery i knew i was bad by this point, you know, when I returned to work and didn't have to do Zooms for work, I had some people move the mattress from my bedroom to the living room. And that was the only thing was there. They took all the other furniture and put it in the back room so I could just have that mattress. And I organized like us. They put like a small desk with all these computers and computer monitors. And that's how I lived. I'd lay there all day, you know. Uh, during the, the, you know, when I come home from work, and by then I was barely working, because I, uh, I had accepted disability retirement, and once that happens, they sort of leave you the fuck alone, and they left me the fuck alone, and I think by then, because there's a, there's a lot of things with disability retirement that are problems, and I, and I was up front, I told my manager, I said, I said, I've, this is the conclusion I've come to, and this is what is going to happen, so I'm accepting it, you know, and I got to wait this process out, but I also told him, I said, anything you could do to speed this up, because, and that's when I had the slacking conversation, because I am without a doubt struggling and I'm uh, not able to do the things you know and I'm not slacking I'm not doing this on purpose but I'm just trying to make it to the day you know kind of thing and so anyway it was bleak but with hope and I thought okay I've got enough I was able to save enough to last with to last a year without maybe two years, two years without being in a spot where it's like now I'm totally busted you know don't have a pot to piss in. But I thought, this gives me two years to get a surgery, get well, then maybe get reinstated in the old job, you know, figure it out, right? Once again, the doctor told me he could do the surgery, you know? And I figure, okay, this sucks, but I'll have the surgery. I'll be able to, you know, um, somehow hold on to all this long enough to get the surgery recover. So I figured I'll figure it out to pass the time. And I'm going to do a separate podcast on creativity and, uh, you know, the things I did. But needless to say, my podcast, which was started as an interview show and through a combination of COVID and how impersonal Zooms can be and my inability to be reliable to sit in a chair and do interviews even on a Zoom is I kind of knew I wasn't able to do that for a while so I kind of suspended this Art of Floundering podcast and spent a lot of time doing filthy puppet shows and I'm going to do a whole different thing on that 
these weird creative expressions like my animations that I do or or the puppet shows or like the amazing slacker series and this may sound like Greek to a lot of listeners but if you're curious the original puppet shows are on a wet, on a YouTube channel called Spanky's Experimental Puppet and Theater Company. I cannot watch an episode without recalling where I was at with pain. A lot of those episodes were filmed with me using a beanbag chair under arms, all kinds of weird things. It was it was like a weak way, a, a different just like I'm trying to stay real. I don't know what it was, but I was I was I I was unable to hold the puppets, it, it, and I'm I remain that way to this day. So you know, even like I just knew things were just getting bad, but that's okay. I have this lifeline, and anybody recalls history. The year 2020 was fucking batshit, fucking crazy, and uh, you know, and. I believe 2021 and beyond's probably the same way, but I was medically retired in January of 21. After, you know, over 20 years in this particular division and, you know, all the, the, the things I did, it was like there was nothing. No thank you, no nothing. Once again, my circumstance with the accident, but it slammed home that my job, my employer, they're not... I own everything. The mistake that I have made, and it, I continue to pay for it to this day, is I was not balanced, okay? I was far from being balanced. Now, I intuitively knew that, hey, you know, when retirement comes, I better have something lined up. Not a job per se, but some sort of useful purpose that helps you have a place in this world. Even though you're retired, you still have a useful purpose. You still have a place. You're not just off forgotten about. That's at least the way I'm driven. So intellectually, I knew don't retire unless you have that thought out. Well, that's good intentions, but I did nothing about it. And I could always like try to defend myself and say, well, who could have predicted what happened to me? Because this retirement was boom, boom. And I don't, I I didn't figure out my useful purpose, my place. What was my plan? My I, I went to grad school. My plan was I'm going to try to do as many filthy puppet shows as I can, smoke weed, and, and hope something will happen. Because remember, I still think I'm going to get this surgery. So I'm retired in January 21. And I go to my surgeon, what I think is a pre-surgical appointment in February. Keep in mind, I, I am now full on. I'm I, There's no going back. I am now, you know, on disability retirement. And once again, it is no gift. And that, that appointment represented the first time I was able to physically make it out of the house since that retirement. It's one of the few times I made it out. There were several wellness checks done on me so he tells me he can't help me and trust me i'm like think about this you're struggling it's horrific you've lost your job to due to it a lot of other very important things that aren't money related relationships are important your ability to beat in you've lost a lot of things and you're going to continue to lose if you know things but more importantly you're in pain that just continues to get worse every day with no end in sight you can't sit in a chair more than an hour or two if you're lucky how are you going to have a life because it's your brain is dominated by pain 24 7 there is no 
relief. It is always there. There's just different intensities. There's no pill. There's no amount of dope. There's no hash. There's nothing. There's no opiate. There's nothing that can be done. And you're promised or you, you're led to believe that the surgery is going to take care of that just around the corner. And then you're told, sorry. So, and then... <laughs> I was farmed out to this, and I'm better educated now, but you, you can't think clearly in pain. But I was farmed out. He sent me to this clinic in Oklahoma City. Maybe these guys can help. No, he didn't do it. I my pain management doc. I said, I said we got to do something here, cause he even he he you know I said, look, this is intolerable, and this is my situation. So he was able to like uh, he pulled some strings and got me in to see like the best option there was in Oklahoma City, a really respected spinal center that helps a lot of people. So when I show up for the appointment, once again, I own all this, and but this is very important for anybody in pain to listen to because there was a consequence in my action. I, and there's two sides to every story. I'm giving you my side, which is I'm going to try to paint myself as and justify my behavior, but there is no justification. But the setup is this. I'm already in a bad mood because the drive is long for me. It's 45 miles. And the handicap parking is like 50 million yards away from the entrance. I'm like, what kind of spine center? It, you know, and then I finally get to the front entrance and then they tell me where I got to go is like another half a mile. I, I, I already lose it, you know, but they were nice. And I'm already realizing, dude, you're you're in a very angry space. Be careful what you say. And so, guy does does a couple x-rays physician's assistant and he's talking to me and he's looking at him he goes oh yeah he's he's and i'm going it's bad isn't it? he goes he goes yeah yeah but doc here he can fix this right up he fixes people like you all the time so i'm thinking i'm allowing myself to think all right this is like april 21 and doc comes in and tells me no i kind of lose it i said wait a minute i said you're telling me that the best that you and this clinic has to offer me is that I'm going to continue, you know, you're telling me my life is is this, where the pain and disability gets worse every day. There's no one inside. That's what you're telling me. You know, I'm just going off. I'm going like, you meet, you've you never, I can't believe, you know, I, t- I was going like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm almost channeling that, so let me slow down, because I'm channeling all of that. But, you know, basically i was like i i can't be that much of a hopeless cause i see people come back from much worse i read articles about it all the time i didn't realize something but i i was i was less than perfect and i i think i dropped an f-bomb or two on my way out not yelling but i was like this place has been no fucking hell i think i said this that that when the pa came in and said man did was he you know how'd it go and I, I was just like, this place was no fucking help. It was a waste of my fucking time coming here. That I think that's exactly what I said. Anyway, that upset him, and it should. And my following appointment with my pain management guy, he was like, look, dude. And this is when he laid the cards out. He was the first doctor that was honest, and he wasn't a surgeon. But he was the first one to lay it out how monumentally fucked up I am. And that it's going to take a team of people to fix the various things. And that not many doctors can do it. And the the ones that can have way more patience than they have time. And if they think somebody's a hothead, they don't want to deal with it. It was a great piece of advice. And I've internalized that piece of advice ever since. Because I can run hot. I don't like that about myself. I don't, you know, I don't do it often. 
these days. But when I do, it's fucked up and I hate it. And you, But I, it's going to happen. But there's been a lot of times when I was getting ready to kind of maybe say something shitty or kind of snap or clap back as the kids say. And uh, what that doctor said rung true. So I was in trouble. I was in trouble. I was now in a situation that I knew would eventually become unsustainable. Uh, my body was getting worse. My pain was getting worse. You know, quote, retired. And I'm living in a, you know, 2,200 square foot house in the suburbs all alone. My neighbors, I started befriending neighbors. Right? I talked about this earlier in my renaissance. So I knew all my neighbors and they knew me and they hadn't seen me in days, weeks, months. I had police stop by, do a wellness check. Neighbors trying to bring me food. I started realizing that I was, not only was I bad, but I could not fake it. I couldn't present, you know, I had become well-versed in, in, you know, presenting myself and kind of hiding certain things about this. But I couldn't. I was losing weight. Everything was painful. I wasn't getting out of the house. Mentally, I was in a state of it probably depression, but I was so trying not to be depressed because I knew that would be the beginning of the end. Um, that I tried to stay, always do puppet shows or comedy or something ridiculously child childish to to keep out of that. But like I said, I, I was becoming more and more overwhelmed. Hence the move to Colorado. There's one thing I gotta say about the move to Colorado. Here's the conclusion that I drew that you know my family took me in and I thought that if I had less things to worry about I would be able to carve out a life and let me define that have something that I'm doing you know a job something you know a couple times a week be able to be independent and and move to a much more manageable place manageable place on my own I moved here in June of 2021 with that in mind. Now I'll say this, if it were not for the surgery coming up, where I am at right now is, I don't know what it looks like, but I have to move to something a little bit more conducive to my situation, assisted living or whatever. That's where this is headed. It sucks. But I can't, throughout this entire experience, I can't let myself live in it. I, you know, doing uh, this project and having to relive these time frames, you know, bring a lot of it up. And it's very hard because this brings up a lot of unpleasantness. And I'm trying to minimize unpleasantness these days. So normally, uh, you know, away from doing this, I have to maintain a positive attitude. Now, everybody's different. Maybe I'm just not strong, but my situation makes it increasingly hard to maintain a positive attitude all the time, which is why, and I know that being in a negative headspace, an angry headspace, a resentful headspace, all these things is counterproductive. That if I am going to have any hope at surviving this, I've got to maintain, you know, a positive headspace. But truly, reality sucks. So I spend an inordinate amount of time trying to devise ways for me to distance myself from reality. Not drugs, but like creatively, just whatever. There are times when I am laying on my back in my bed that's right next to where I'm sitting. Everything here in Colorado, 
I'm in a cocoon. Everything is right by me. I had minimized the movement. But anyway, it is what it is. It's weird. But I've just told myself that it's like just this constant battle. Because at least it is with me. Because the pain's always a reminder that your situation's fucked. And the things I touched on in the beginning, you, you, I have no quote power control over anything. One of the one one of the things that's hard is I'm ashamed of like how pathetic I look at times and how pitiful and sad and all these things the way this injury causes me to live i don't want people to see me like that i i want to be able to control when people see me so i can as present as least hopeless as possible that's a that's a fucked up mindset because you're not going to have that control um control over when doctors are going you know you can bitch to up and down no control but the the backslide was just it was fast and it went from bad to worse quickly and i will never forget being in that situation being where i was prior to the accident to now at risk of dying of starvation or whatever home alone laying on a mattress in my living room, in a suburban dream, somewhere in America. I didn't want that to be my thing. But taking the present times, if it wasn't for the surgery, the simple reality is this. My physical condition, if it wasn't for the surgery, I would be at retirement home. I don't know what it is. Nursing home, I'm not sure what it all looks like, but I'm there. For me... All of this happened fast. In January of 2021, I was medically retired. I was bad, but I was still able to make it to the door, and I still had hope. By May of 2021, I was no longer able to get to the front door, do the basics, take care of myself. I had no hope. I had no plan. I knew that if this went on any longer, the outcomes wouldn't be pleasant. Something dramatic would have to happen if I were to have a shot at making it through all this. And this will be our starting point for our next episode. For now, it is time to conclude this episode in our Countdown to Soon series. I sincerely thank anyone that has given this a listen. And on behalf of the Art of Floundering podcast, I want to wish each and every one of you nothing but peace and love. This concludes another episode from the Art of Floundering podcast. We hope that you will like, follow, subscribe, and review. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Podbean, or wherever you download your super-duper peachy keen favorite podcast. On behalf of the Art of Floundering podcast, I want to wish each and every one of you nothing but... Peace and love.